As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It doesn't look like a complete freak of physics though, right? He's so, he's so yeah. big, like he's tall, he's quite built, he's not quick. But he goes past the... Fa- I mean, he left Cock looking like Dick Darsley catching a pigeon. I mean, it, it's just, like, <laughs> ludicrous. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined today, because it's the last one for some time, and we have to get through the small match of the World Cup of Qatar and my honeymoon, um, by all three of the current incumbents here at The View from the Lane, Tim Spears, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore. The entire gang present... As I say, for the last podcast where we take that World Cup break, uh, we will reflect on the first half of the season very, very closely in the second half of this podcast, if that's not uh, too complicated. I should tell everybody as well um, that they're sat there looking great, but none of them, unlike me, are wearing the Son Hun Ming Burberry cardigan that I managed to get uh, with express delivery over the last 72 hours. (laughs) Didn't he look great? Uh, Do we we know how much that costs, that cardigan? Can you imagine... I mean, I know he's. I know because of his standing in Asia and particularly in Korea, the happening economy in the world, that he's a he's a global ambassador for virtually everything that is nice. In fact, I think it is his title, ambassador for everything that's nice. Um, and he did look great with his glasses. Presumably, he wears contact lenses to play. I'm now guessing, um, but couldn't wear them because of his eye injury. That would, right, that would yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he did look great. I have yeah, to say. he did absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll talk about to the if whole. Burberry post- want to send if Burberry want to send us <laughs> any of those, then uh, you can find our address easily enough. Jack's on Twitter. That's what he's trying to say. Um, yeah, we'll reflect on the first half of the season. I mean, I'm going. I'll, I'll put in a spoiler. I can't remember a first half of a season like this one. Um, but we'll talk about that next because already um, we've got to talk about the game between Spurs and Leeds. Tim. People were saying on Twitter recently when you used the word Spursy when Spurs did something a bit shit. And I said, hang on, hold on. And I, that's not my understanding of the word Spursy. My understanding of the word Spursy is a team and a club that just occasionally does the maddest, most brilliant things. Um, and that was Spursy for me. You've got a rather more scientific view of it. In your piece in the uh, athletic commenting on the game, you talked, it about, talked about the Spurs paradox. What are you learning in your... Nine turbulent weeks of watching Spurs. Yeah, I've, 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 I think I've aged about nine years actually. Um, the, the paradox you mentioned in terms of 
been absolutely shagged out for the last few weeks, but still managing to score what three last-minute winners in the last four matches. Yep. Um, Should have been four, but for VAR. I thought Leeds were really naive. I got to say, first of all, because it, it, it really reminded me of the Leicester match, um, and that it was a bit of a basketball game. It was quite open. The Basuma change on seventy minutes sort of changed changed the game. Helped Spurs score a couple of late goals, but I, I, yeah, I, I thought Leeds definitely helped with their approach because you know the way the way to stop Spurs, I think, is to sit deep and frustrate them, frustrate the crowd. Um, but but they didn't do that even when they were even when they were three two up. But you just got to pay tribute to their powers of recovery. It is I, I know you've got to be losing in the first place to do this, but still to earn thirteen points from losing positions in the Premier League, plus seven in the Champions League. So that means of the Premier League and Championship Champions League matches of which there have been 21. Spurs have earned 20 points from losing positions. I, I can do more here for you. Now, Keep forgive them coming. Me if, forgive me if the Athletic have already done this. Um, Miles Jupp, brilliant comedian, has a fantastic podcast um, about um, cricket with Mark Wood and is a big fan of this podcast because he's a Spurs fan. Got in touch with me. He says that in the last eight games, Spurs have been in front... And this, bear in mind, they've won their Champions League group and are fourth in the most difficult league in the world. Spurs have been in front for nine minutes in their last eight games. And that includes the seven minutes they're in front against Leeds. And yet they are piling up points and positions. They're never in front. Is that is that the ultimate form of delayed gratification? It sort of feels like it um, might be to do that that consistently. Well, sorry, as a properly lapsed Catholic, I don't believe in delaying <laughs> gratification. Get on with the gratification. <laughs> Um, I, I really enjoyed the game. Thinking Protestants and delayed gratification. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the game. I, like I, genuinely, yeah. it took me back to watching Spurs like fifteen, twenty years ago when they were when they were broadly quite bad, but occasionally they have a game like that. And I but don't also know, they did they didn't just defend the edge of their box. It was yeah. a basketball game. Hallelujah! I, I, you know, what? I didn't even think they played that badly. Really, I, I, no, like, there were like no. moments of madness from a, a couple of the defenders, and I know we'll come on to it. But it was fun to watch two teams actually attack. And uh, Tim is right. Leeds were really naive. But they were great to watch. Right? Mm, lot, some really good like, technical yeah. players in that Leeds team. Like a really good team to watch. Aronson. The yeah, stuff he does. Really, brilliant yeah. player. And, you know, Somerville yeah. and uh, Gnotto. Yeah. Is it yep. Gnotto? Nonto. If only Nonto we had Eccleshay here for the pronunciation. Charlie would have nailed that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah lots of really good players to yeah. watch. Like, and if you look at that team and you think actually... In two or three years, if they keep it all together, they could be really, really good. Um, but I, I have to say, I was quite confident the Spurs were going to win that game the whole way through. It just felt like I, it felt like one of those. I felt like okay, I'd seen were, it were before. You, were, I've got to ask you this question. Bear in mind, this is a, you know, this is a public forum. Were you high? <laughs> no, but I, it just felt like, like I say, it took me back to one of those games. There's a run of matches in 2004 where they beat Portsmouth four three. They won 4-2 at Charlton and they drew 4-0 with Leicester. I think I'm right in saying, James, that since the formation of the Premier League, Spurs have been involved in more games where there have been six or more goals than any other club. I can well imagine It's no that. surprise. No that, surprise, That's Spursy. That is what Spurs, Yeah, that's Spursy. That that's exactly what, what I mean by it. Yeah. I don't care about the defending. That doesn't matter. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it doesn't matter that they scored three because we scored four and it's absolutely fine. It's better if we if, if, better. if they score three, we score four, and one of them's pretty late. Of course, it's yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, all you need is to be away from home and the result of a bad decision, and you've got the full <laughs> set. You've, you've got Yahtzee, haven't you? Yahtzee. Do you There's only way to know what Yahtzee is anymore. <laughs> do you think that Conte thinks that? Because I'm pretty sure he doesn't 
Do no, he does not. He thinks exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. He would have been a child when Inter Milan were doing their the Inter Milan thing they were doing. And unfortunately, whether you you know how much self hypnosis he wants to do, the idea that you start with something in a football match and that's worth protecting. But since Jimmy Hill brought in three points for a win, it's not worth protecting. The first yeah. goal is worth protecting. So then it's a matter of philosophy. But it's ridiculous. The, the, uh, this was it to the nth extreme though on Saturday because Spurs just didn't play until Leeds had scored. You knew that whenever Leeds scored, there was there was going to be a reaction. They were going to start playing and they might get a goal back. And then they, but at and least, then they got but at the least goal the, and they stopped again. It was 10 minutes, but at least in those first 10 minutes, they had a couple of attacks. James is right. I think it, it was it was slightly different. The, 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 there was more energy at the start of the match, and I did put that down to the pre-match playlist, which was completely different this week. Mm. There was no indie whatsoever. It was it was dance music, bit of techno, Chemical Brothers, DJ Fresh, Quanta Shazam, oh, wow. uh, Example, Tiesto. It, it was completely different, and and lo and behold, they did actually start with a bit of energy, which which they had to because we said last week that obviously Leeds are such an energetic team that's going to be a big issue. But you they, know, they, they, they did respond to that. I can't believe that we've spent the last two months, uh, and the only two things we've talked about have been the pre-match playlist and how slowly they've started games. And at no point had I ever considered that those two things would be, <laughs> but they must be. That's the only explanation for it. Well, I, I haven't quite got him, but I've now got to, got various. Um, hooks into the person who's picking the music. I'll have him by the time the World Cup is over for this Perfect. podcast. Promise you. Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are the Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, the Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. The other thing I think we need to discuss, Jack, and I saw you put up a, a graphic about it, is, look, it's not as simple as this, but the travails of the last eight or nine games, ten, I think, it's not as simple as no Kulusevsky, no creativity, but there's a there's a big grain of truth in that, isn't there? Yeah, it's some... There's that cliche, isn't there, that if if a player gets injured, they look better every time they're out of the team. And then, of course, you know, the implication being that when they do come back into the team, you realise they're not quite as good as you thought. Whereas I kind of feel like with Kulosevsky, that is true. Like, since he's come back into the team, it really has been a sort of transformational difference. I mean, even I, like, I wasn't at the game on Saturday, but I watched clips of, of Kulosevsky. He was amazing. Some of the stuff he can do is sensational. That that bit for that, I think it's when he's setting up the fourth goal, where he's running down the right, not that fast, and then he kind of slows down to sucker Robin Koch in towards him, and then just knocks it perfectly past him so he can get into space to pull the ball back to Benton Kerr, but not so far that Meslier can catch it or the ball can go out for a goal kick. It's but that was, that, was his, that was his second extraordinary contribution to the goal. If you look carefully, is it uh, is, the, is the poor benighted Davidson Sanchez has the ball at his feet. Kulisevsky pulls back from his marker, points to Kane, 
And because the obvious ball is to he, Kulusevsky, up the line, um, and Davinson, bless his heart, gets the ball to Kane's feet, by which time Kulusevsky has gone past his man for Kane to play that one-two round the corner. He literally conducted the goal with his hands. Go and watch it. It's magical uh, to watch. And bear in mind, 84th minute of a game in which he hadn't played for t- a full game for 10 weeks. Extraordinary work. Yeah. For, for someone who is a, like, I think this is why he's so reward, like rewarding and enjoyable to watch is that for someone like he's obviously so clever, he's so, he's not quick in a conventional sense, but he's got this kind of. James said he was really slow when he first he's came. Got like, he, I mean, he, he kind of is, but he's got this like burst of slow. I don't know how to put it. He's got like a burst of slow pace. Like it's the kind of thing that sometimes you'll see from really really clever, much older players, you know, who just got mm-hmm. a capacity to knock the ball past an opponent and. And catch them off guard, even though there's a touch of the Jinlers about it as well, where his strength compensates for his lack of speed sometimes. Um, because the the first contact with the defender often sees the defender bounce slightly backwards from him. It it does look like a complete freak of physics, though, right? He's so he's so big, like he's tall, he's quite built, he's not quick, but he goes past the. I mean, he left Cock looking like. Dick Darcy catching a pigeon. I mean, it's just in, like <laughs> ludicrous. That body, like his body shape, just changes in such a deceptive way. I mean, it's when you watch that back, it's impossible to conceive that Cock hasn't got the ball. But it's not a mistake by the defender. I, 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 it's just I've said quite a few times on this podcast. The thing I'm, what I want most from football, going to watch a match, is a thing I've never seen before. And he is one of those players that delivers that quite regularly. Like, I've never seen a player who looks like him doing things like that. It's just amazing to watch. Since um, since he joined in January, he's they've played, I think, about 40 matches, and he started half, so 2020. They average more than a goal a game extra when he's in the team, as opposed to when <laughs> he's not. Um, so he's, he's, you know, basically giving you, yeah, one goal extra a match when he starts. And Spurs are actually third top scorers in the league now, which I find hard to believe, having watched them a lot recently. Um with thirty-one, which I think someone said is the hot, the most goals they've scored at this stage of a season in the in the Premier League. We've got to point out that ha- almost half of them are coming three matches, which are against Leicester, Spur, um, Southampton, and Leeds. But still, you know the the, bit, the far bigger issue right now is the defence. But scoring goals, especially with Kulusevski on the pitch, is, isn't really an issue. Kulusevski started all three of those games, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was brilliant against Saints, certainly. Um, and given his moodiness over the past few weeks, I think it's also one of Antonio Conte's best starts ever um, to a season with all those amazing clubs that he's managed. Well, just just on Conte, and firstly to correct Jack, well, not to correct him, actually, you are right about uh, Kulusevski starting Bring him down, games. bring him no, down. No, 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 he was right. No, but bring him. it was Kulusevski that got hooked against Leicester at Fruit. Oh, yes, so when was. When came yeah. on and Spurs looked much better. And then from there, if you remember, that was when kind of Kulusevski was out the team quite a lot. But I, what I just wanted to say about Conte, and as a lot of people have said, we have been quite down on him over the last couple of months. But he did something that really impressed me on Saturday, which was making the substitution I wanted him to make. And, and I mean completely, completely serious when I say that, because it's easy for me to stand there in the stand there in the stadium and of course say, it is, yeah. he needs to take Richarlison off and put Basuma on. We get an overrun in midfield. It's just going to give us way more of a chance to get a foothold in the game. This was at two-two. It's going to give us way more of a chance to get a foothold in the game and to actually progress the ball forward up the pitch. But if you're the manager of a team under pressure and the crowd are winding like anyone's business, like that's a completely different proposition taking off an attacking player to put on a defensive midfielder, like taking that one step backwards to take two steps forwards. And I think you have to be really brave and confident to do that, and he did that. And I, I think if previous Spurs managers, good ones, you know, good ones maybe even from Argentina, 
probably wouldn't have made that kind of... I just don't think... I'll say it, I don't think Pochettino would make a substitution like that. I don't, Martin Yarl definitely wouldn't have made a substitution like that. Redknapp, I don't think, would have made a substitution like that. And this is, this is the danger, isn't it? We're in danger with Antonio Conte. And yes, I see people saying we're, we can be negative about him. Um, is that he too is a paradox um, in that there are, you know, I, ha- I am very happy with Spurs' points per game ratio. Could have had a couple more, I guess. Um, while not being happy where they played. Those two things are possible to have at the same time. I can't see where we'd get a better manager than Conte. And yet, and I'm going to be absolutely confessional here, um, when Emerson Royale missed that chance and skied it over, my wife thought I was having a heart attack, but I was just shouting at the television, um, saying, sack him. But I wasn't talking about Emerson Royale. I was talking about Conte. I'd have sacked him there and then for picking Emerson Royal again. How many times um, do you think you would have sacked Conte over the last 14 two, or 13 two months? Preci- two precisely. Um, but, but otherwise, we'd have had some very serious discussions. I know, I, I, I admit I'm overreacting, but that's what, that's what he's doing to people um, at the moment. So, and it's always possible, as I say, to hold two opinions about something that are contradictory. We're human beings. Um, the 240 characters on Twitter is not you. That is something you have to project into a limited amount of space. You may have more than one thought in your head um, at the same time. Kulisevsky, absolutely fantastic. And I suppose it would be no, wrong not to mention Benton Kerr here because, um, well, you, you know, Tim, you, you saw him close up as well. The amount he puts into the game, whether, you know, you know, he's not Zinedine Zidane or anything like that, but the amount he puts into a game of football, um, and this on the eve of a World Cup, incidentally, well done the professional footballers of Spurs and Leeds. All this talk about the players not putting a, sh- a shoe in um, because of the World Cup. Have you ever seen a better advertisement for the professionalism of the people in the Premier League? Fantastic effort by all of them who played. Benton Kerr, again, allowed to move forward a little bit by the bringing on of Bissouma. Just, just fantastic performance. Yeah, I mean it was it was a it was a proper match. You know they were they were they were kicking seven bells out of each other. It was holding nothing back. It was feisty. Bentancur, as you say, sort of typified that. Really good switch from Conte, pushed him forward and gets two goals. And then immediately after the second goal, I think he's he's chasing back, catch, catching two players and putting in a slide tackle. You know the 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 energy levels on this guy are, are, are incredible. Him and Hoiberg definitely got to be up there with sort of the. Top duos in sort of midfield in the Premier League this season. I mean, so certainly the busiest. Yeah, definitely. Well, that, that that that's the thing. You know, in, in between both boxes, they're doing so much, so much energy. Um, you mentioned Royal early, by the way, and that miss. I got to say, we, we talk about the World Cup coming at a good or a bad time for for clubs or players. I mean, it's definitely come at a good time for him because he must be absolutely dreading, maybe not dreading, but certainly not enjoying uh, playing at that stadium at the moment. I mean, it was. I I don't know. If you guys have heard similar at Spurs before in terms of targeting for one player, but I mean he was getting booed during the match and then he gets cheered off. It was just absolutely horrible, I gotta say. Um, what what and- do you what, what do you what do you want people to do? Now I I too have some reticence about what happened to him, but what else? How else can fans express their opinion? It wasn't to the player; it's to the manager, isn't it? I, 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 didn't, really? I didn't feel like really? that was towards Conte. To me, it is kind of frustration at him being in the team, but it is expressed at, it is directed at that player. Isn't All right. it? It's not like he can exist on that football pitch without hearing that. He's like, he's no, exposed no, to it. It's like making a comment about someone behind their back, literally behind their back, immediately behind their back, isn't it? It's not, you know, it's not like a subtle email to someone off the record. A, it a, is a subtle WhatsApp. A subtle, yeah. I think the, boo- I think the booing is complicated, WhatsApp. isn't it, though? Because truth, truth be known... Um, 
we have no other way of expressing it. We're not allowed surgeries like with MPs to go and talk to the person or to the manager. Um, we we have we have cheering and we have booing. Those are our that that's our grammar. I would say it's one of the least complicated things, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it just means this this thing. I, I am broadly unhappy with this thing, ironically or otherwise. I wouldn't I wouldn't have booed him off personally. But no, I no, I didn't. It. I I no, I, I completely agree. I was like pretty upset by that and look and people yeah. will say i'm sure we've been very you and i danny have been very critical of him on this podcast this season mm-hmm. uh and i suspect some people would say that was as bad to me to me that isn't i think we're well, no, on on uh, and i know i know because we speak all the time emerson and i i know he listens to the podcast but you know he turns these bits down can't quite, he quite I just don't. I don't really see the. I I understand the frustration, and, 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 and I was very. Cri- we've been critical of him. I, I, we've been critical of him as a footballer, um, as a person, and this is the problem, isn't it? The booing isn't isn't subtle enough to say. I'm sure you're doing your best, but your best isn't good enough in this case. Yeah, and I suppose there is also. To me, there's a difference between like the groaning at like a really good missed opportunity, and, and like a really bad crossfield pass that goes to an opposition player, and. Massive ironic cheers when the bloke gets hooked after fifty-five minutes. But there's real frustration now. All he has to do is is have the ball, and and you can you can feel that tension and that frustration. And that's that's yeah. that's that's just that's not going to help him. Um, I'm not I'm not placing blame on anyone here, but it's, it's it's just not. And you know, me me personally, I've never booed a player for anything other than attitude. Player for um, West Brom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, there is, yeah, very fair point. Um. And there's nothing wrong with his attitude. So, I, I, you know, he's, he's still he's still being brave. He's still getting in those positions. He's not hiding. So, in that respect, I, I, I feel sorry for him. To be honest, I'm not, I would never I would never tell any fan how to how to behave. But I'm just saying that in, in this particular instance, I, I, I do feel really sorry for him now. Yeah, I feel bad for Emerson. I think that it's not. I mean, obviously, he's not very good in the final third that's very obviously true but it's not his fault that he's not very talented at that and it's not his fault that Conte keeps picking him so unless and I I certainly don't think it would be fair to say that he's got a bad attitude or that he's lazy or doesn't try or he's never been anything other than 100% committed so I think that uh, booing him is bad basically I wonder what the tone of this rather empatico conversation would have been if Spurs had lost 1-0 I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'd feel that differently about about the booing. Just to go back to what Jack was saying about him not being a brilliant player going forward, which is kind of the thing we've known from a very early stage. It, but... Actually, if you can give all of the mistakes that he makes, they are all, all of the things that he's criticised for, all of the things that draw these massive groans from the crowd are all in the opposition half. He's not yeah. like making dreadful mistakes defensively. I don't think I mean, he's getting a lot of like shouts from the, first the crowd. Goal. He's getting a lot of it's shouts just... from the crowd for his like poor positioning. But I, I, I do think there is like maybe a slight tactical issue with some of that stuff. Oh no, because you do get it with the opposite. Opposite. He, he looks. It looks worse. His positioning for the first goal looks terrible. If you only, but that he's asked to play that high up. It's that's not um, a, a, a sort of wandering out of position. A la the now re- rehabilitated Serge Aurier. Um, it's not just wandering about in the days, is it? it, it yeah, and, it, he's, it, and he's well. He's not been helped by the man to the left of him of late as well. Be that Sanchez or Dyer, who's 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 become hapless. You know that they're really missing Romero, and that doesn't help Royale either. Whatever happened to Romero? Good we'll, to see we'll find out next week. Yeah. I mean, the response to <laughs> that picture of Romero joining the Argentinian squad was ludicrous on Twitter. He he um, actually deserves more uh, stick for me. He deserves more mm-hmm. stick than Royale, in my opinion. I, I I'm just like. That is incredible, isn't it? The front to tweet that. 
It's just amazing. <laughs> but he's, like, we, it, we, we all it, know it, we all knew it was coming. We all knew he would be fit for the World Cup. He play in Argentina's best game. But don't like, but it, you need to tweet a picture of yourself in training the day after. But, but it doesn't it doesn't show him breaking the Argentinian record for the four hundred meters hurdles. He's walking up the side of a pitch, possibly as part of his rehabilitation. It's just, just an amazing coincidence that he <laughs> that his in, his injury should clear up the precise moment that he lands in Abu Dhabi to join in their preseason their pre World Cup camp. I mean, compare and contrast um, his compatriot Lionel Messi, who to everyone's astonishment played seventy five minutes for Paris Saint Germain at the weekend. Um, picked himself to play. But again, he's getting criticism now from the Paris fans for using the club to sharpen himself up for the World Cup. So you can't you win. Can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, I mean, there are loads of players at Tottenham, you know, uh, like Kane, I, I think there was an expectation that he would ease off towards the World Cup and he definitely didn't. Ben Tancor, if anything, ramped it up in the last few weeks. Yeah, he's been Ho- I thought, was actually not great on Saturday. Ben Davis had his best game for yeah, a long ben time. Very, yeah. I don't think anyone could could accuse Hoiberg of not having put an effort in the last few weeks. Uh, and if he was absolutely shattered by Saturday, it'd be completely understandable. But uh, uh, you know, most of the players, one or two, I think, you know, we'll, we'll never really know. But I've I've got to say, I've been quite impressed, particularly with Ben Tancor and Kane and Hoiberg. Perisic also Perisic, probably yeah. going to his last World Cup. I think he's put in a huge amount of work in the last few weeks. Yeah, he's some of his best performances actually in the last like three or yeah, four. Yeah, the games. one the one who's out of form coming into the World Cup is the French captain Hugo Lloris. Um, I wasn't uh, super super thrilled with some of his efforts oh my at, God. Uh, the weekend. I mean, w- w- which one do you want to go through in order? I'm well, not. I'm not f- sure. I mean, it'd be good. His angles for the first one. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, it was really obvious what Sunville was going to do. Although Dyer kind of allowed him to do that. I mean, Eric's forms. Eric's form it could be since he got engaged, um, and it could be the England call up. But it's got gone off a cliff, hasn't it? Let's be truthful. I mean, you know how much I like him. It's gone off a cliff, hasn't it? The change yeah, of position. I, I, I get really, that. Yeah, yeah. That look, I mean, it's fl- flitting between the two. I think is probably the thing, isn't it? It's going to the right and then coming back into the middle, and then going back out to the right again. But again, that brings us back to uh, Romero, right? Um, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was making mistakes when he was still in the middle. He's still he's still playing back passes that are shots. Uh, he's still playing blind passes across the back three. It's like it's basic stuff, really. I I, I don't think it's much to do with his. It, I think the, you could say the first goal on Saturday was maybe to do with his positioning. Um, but other than that, it's just been sort of basic errors when he's not really been under pressure on the ball. I thought the first goal on Saturday was because he's. You know, if you're going to play on the outside of the three, you're going to have to do a lot of one v one defending, and some he just wasn't really prepared for how quick Somerville was. That's the, that's the kind of tackle that I think Romero would have made because Romero is quick enough and aggressive enough to actually try and make the challenge, whereas Dyer seemed to kind of hope that he wouldn't have to make the tackle, basically, and then all of a sudden the ball's in the back of the net. I don't want to embarrass Jack, but he did actually more or less predict that goal to me on the phone on Friday. More or less, exactly what would happen. So. Well, I don't want well, to. Embarrass- that, that, that is sadly that is true. I don't want to embarrass Jack either. But you, if you just say Spurs has got will concede a goal between the the right foot, the right wing back, and the right centre half, a good point, you're, you you will be winning Spurs concession bingo most weeks, won't you? That's <laughs> That's a good, we were talking about how um, we was, James and I were talking about Dyer's positioning and how we were wondering that his move to right centre back recently is it because is it either because there's no Romero there, that so they need somebody else. Or is it because he's made so many mistakes, it actually makes more sense to have Longley in the middle um, as the sort of first-choice central centre-back? And then we were talking about how Dyer on the right of that three could get exposed by the pace of Somerville and Gnonto, which, of course, is what happened. But it does raise the interesting question, what... Where will he play for England? Like, will he play in the middle of the back three for England? Will he play in the right of the back three for England? Or even not at all? Because... 
you know, Kyle Walker's not going to be fit for the first game against Iran next Monday. So it'll be interesting to see if if Dyer gets a run out. We we head towards the, the you know a break and all the rest of it, and there'll be people um, hoping that. Um, as Conte once again asked for after the... And let's just say, first of all, let's just finish this by saying, well done, Spurs. That was an incredible comeback. Um, and given what the players have been through, not least from me shouting at them for the last 10 weeks, uh, just to have the chutzpah, the spirit, never mind the physical engines, um, to hunt down a Leeds team that I think demands a lot of you physically. And I don't just mean they're running. What a Back to dirty Leeds, aren't we? Well done, Spurs. That was a brilliant win. Conte afterwards talked about the need for reinforcements. I see newspapers talking about them bringing not one, but two £50 million centre-backs. All of that was put into some kind of context. I just want to bring a different angle to this. Kieran Maguire's a pretty respected um, voice on football finance. Certainly a lot of people follow him on Twitter. And he's put up a chart today, um, and we'll probably put it up on Twitter as well, so one of us or two of us in the next little while, which shows that in the last 12 years, a time span chosen by Kevin himself, Spurs have spent approximately the same on infrastructure, stadiums, training grounds, all the rest of it, as all the other Premier League clubs put together. So I'm not so sure. Um, you know, I'm not. Banking would not be my strong point. They are in a position to go out and, and black big money on footballers just now. But the chart itself was, and I know you've all seen it, extraordinary to look at. Whether it means anything, but it's an incredible look. I mean, the, the 2009, to explain, was uh, he was measuring how much money Manchester United has spent on their infrastructure since yes. Cristiano left first time. Yes, F- that's Cristiano right. Ronaldo left it's first time. It's in response time. to Ronaldo's thing, yeah. yeah. Um, both sides, I mean, you know, they spent, obviously, the bulk of the Spurs are way out in front because they built the best stadium in the world in that time period. And Yeah, and, and I think, I was just going to say, James, but I think apart from Brentford, they're the, they're the only ones to have a new stadium in that, in that time frame. Yeah, because it doesn't go back as far as the Emirates. And then, yeah, no, quite. The yes. only so, other no, no, I understand that. I understand that. Yeah, and the, probably, but, actually, but the training the ground is probably in that window as well. It is. It is. The stadium doesn't play centre back though. That's the issue, isn't it? No, but then the stadium does allow them to make more money on a match day. Which I mean, look, far be it for me to be a, a spokesperson for the club, but the stadium does allow them to make the money to sign another centre back. The stadium and the training ground are why Antonio Conte took the job. Like, if they like, it's what is. I, I do think this is worth picking apart because it. It, it's a um, it's a criticism you do hear a bit from e- from like Enoch Enoch critics who who say that well wh- why spend all that money on infrastructure when they could have spent it on footballers? But imagine a scenario in which Enoch chose to stay at the old training ground in Chigwell, stay at the old White Hart Lane, but spend let's say another 50 million plus a year on footballers they probably i mean like they they certainly would have bought better players over the years i think so, um within a within let's say 10 years ago maybe 5 years ago but i don't do i think overall the club would have been a better place no i mean they they might have won an fa cup but you know you can win you can win things, and if you don't have the infrastructure, it's not sustainable. Hang on, hang on, look, hang on. At, it, look at Portsmouth. Look at Wigan Athletic. If they had spent, was it how much was it? A billion was it? The stadium. One and a half billion. If I had spent that money on players, one and a half billion pounds. Oh, they wouldn't have spent. They wouldn't have spent it all on players. Oh, why, at not? Once. why not? Why not? Yeah, because oh, yeah. they only spent a bit of it. Little, the rest you, of it's borrowed from Bank of America. Go for it. Why don't you live a little, Jack? But if they had spent, yeah, they, they, what, they finished second. Yeah, but they finished third in 2016. They it's not like they would have bought Neymar. Maybe. It's not like they could have got Neymar to come and 
play for them at the old White Hart Lane. I, I'm, obviously being, I'm obviously being facetious, but I, I, clearly it's a bit unfortunate that immediately before they moved into the stadium, they had this run of seasons where they were very, very close to winning like proper major honours. You know, third in the Premier League the season Leicester won it, second in the Premier League the following season, Champions League final two years after that. So they were very close to winning. Like, like They had a great time. It's, it's unfortunate that it happened then, that, uh, immediately before, com- not immediately after. That's if they were there, if they were there now, and the football landscape was like it was then now, then you know, I think they have a very good chance of winning league titles. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. Like, what you say is completely correct, and this is going to sound a bit silly, but genuinely, when Leave, I think that when Levy appointed Pochettino in 2014, he didn't expect them to be that good, and so they were. The the, the the sort of strategy when Pochettino came in was let's just play young players and try and get fourth wouldn't that be great and then all of a sudden two or three years later he's got a really really brilliant team on his hands without even realising um, or without even expecting that that would be the case you know and then it's like oh no we actually haven't got any money for top players anymore well I mean it's a pretty big business and money was very cheap in those days and he's supposed to be this genius businessman circumstances change you could have gone out and invested there and then um, now, of course, you've got the long-term plan. I mean, he was too busy. You know those films you see of people who've gone mad and they always have a tiny model of city they're planning to build on the kitchen table and they're always unveiling it to the neighbours? Well, he's, he was a bit like that. I think the obsession with the stadium might have been a, a distraction. And don't forget, we're also spending millions, maybe tens of millions each year, just on the legal business of getting the stadium up and running. I know it's a wonderful thing. I get it. And I hope that the enhanced revenues will help Spurs. Although enhanced revenues, but clubs are shaking the tree for more revenues, sponsors, all the rest of it. I'm not sure how it's not it's not a winnable arms race, is it against the? I, I, you know, I can't work out. I can't work out if you're seriously suggesting they shouldn't have built the stadium. I can't. I can't work out like 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 well, because... the, the the only other way for a club like Spurs to get anywhere near competing with, you know, Man City and. Now, presumably Newcastle, uh, and you know the kind of the likes of Manchester United, who are obviously in a completely different stratosphere due to like historic significance of the club, the you know, legacy super clubs like mm-hmm. Manchester United and Liverpool, um, is to have a big stadium and sell it out every week. Like but, uh, unless you want to be sold to some. But how much money does that? And, how much uh, money does the new stadium actually generate more than the old stadium? An absolute shitload more, isn't it? Like an insane amount of money is that, every is single that, week. Is that the official figure? That's a what they said. If you look at that, you look at that. Because, I think it brings yeah. in about five million pounds per home game. Right. Do you know? And you know what? With the way football's contracts are going, what is that? Chicken feed. Let's be truthful. Let's call it what it is. It's a brilliant stadium, and I understand they had to build it. I'm not. I'm not a luddite. I do understand how they build it, but the chasing after revenue by football clubs that don't have oil revenue. I'm not saying it should give up is futile in some ways because every penny of it, nothing goes into developing the club. Every penny goes into paying the mediocre players in your club more than they should get. Play the superstars by all means. They're the ones generating the revenue on television all the rest of it. I'm, 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 I'm all for it because I can't. you're right to say, James, I haven't yet got another pathway forward. Um, but it's, it's not quite as simple as equation as suddenly £5 million a week extra will make you a better football team. No, you, might be, you might just be paying the reserves but, uh, more. I mean, also, what I'd also say is they've, commi- they've spent or committed to spending more on players in the last 12 months than in any 12 months ever. Sure. And that will be. By, by know, existence, I would imagine. Some of that is catching up with the hiatus of the no, no transfer yeah, yeah, of windows. Course. But, but, yeah. but uh, you couldn't agree more. Um, you know, 
they, they, and getting that recruitment right, you know, is is probably as important as, as generating more and more revenue. And I can see, Jack, that you now want me taken off this podcast in a straitjacket. I don't want you taken off the podcast, Danny. I just completely disagree just, with you. Just yeah. put in the straitjacket. Yeah. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, welcome back to The View from Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Full firm today, Jack Pitbrook, Tim Spears, and James Moore. Um, and now we're going to attempt, um, without the help of a safety net, to talk about this first half, inverted commas, of Spurs' season. To my opinion, to quote somebody I used to work with, to my opinion, the most complicated and mad first half of the season I can remember at White Hart Lane, which I actually, part of me really, really enjoys. You don't want to see the same thing year after year after year, do you? Um, Jack, you've been kind of grading the team uh, for the first half. So why don't, why don't you start here with how you think they're doing? So I, I had to give them a letter grade and I decided to give them a B. I think that the in terms of results, I think they're a, close to par, maybe a tiny bit below par. I think winning the Champions League group is obviously great. I think that one, they're averaging, what, 1.93 points per game in the league, which would put them on a 73-point season, which is uh, not quite as well as I thought they would do, but it's not terrible. They're, they're in the top four. Um, so I think the results, okay, could improve a bit. Performances, I think, are a bit less good than that. Like, I don't think they've played that well. 
uh, for all the reasons that everyone knows. You know, they're bad in the first half. They don't dominate games. They haven't haven't re- their best ninety minute performance arguably was Liverpool at home, a game in which they lost. They haven't the hardest game they've won was Marseille away. They haven't beaten anyone really good in the league this season. Um, but then I guess the the third part of this, and this is the question that I've been I've been uh, trying to find an answer to, is there are obviously like unique circumstances which make this a very difficult season, namely the schedule, the World Cup, and everything. And and, and also, of course the death. It's one of their most important. And the, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's other members, other things yeah. that have happened which are out of Conte's control. The passing of Giampiero Ventrone being one of them. Also, more kind of uh, quotidian things like uh, Kulisewski's injury, Son playing badly. And so I guess the, the, the question that I really think matters is, to what extent is the Spurs' underperformance this season, is it Conte's fault or is it just a result of factors that are out of his control? Because I think that that's really the most important issue, but I don't, I kind of go back and forth in terms of my answer to that. Yeah, because I, th- I think it's a very nebulous question. It, it, it's very hard to put your finger on it. Tim, you have got the added complication. Not only has this been the most complicated, weird, and at times frustrating, but at times exhilarating st- first half to a Spurs season, but you came in halfway through the first half. I think considering the many issues that we pour over week after week to be where they are, it's really impressive. I'm I'm actually really impressed with 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 where they are on the table, with where they are in the Champions League. You know, Jack Benson's Giampiero, and I think it's really hard to quantify the impact that's had. You know, we talk we've talked a lot about the schedule: thirteen matches in forty three days, no free midweek since September, which has definitely affected them in terms of defensive performances. I think. Um, not been able to do much work on the training ground, but the fact that this guy, such a such such a popular man, not just with the staff but with a lot of players, you know, there, there was there was such an outpouring of grief when he passed. For that to happen in the middle of the schedule as well, I, I, I you know, I don't know how I how I'd deal with that. Um, you know, losing someone you're close to in that time. Um, Conte started to talk about it a little bit more recently. It was it was it was still hard for him to talk about it on on Friday. It looked like he was gonna he was kind of choking up when he was doing it. Um. So to have to deal with that grief, that turmoil of losing, you know, not just a very popular and much-loved man, but also someone who's very, very good at his job um, at a time when, when we're talking about fitness and fatigue every week being a massive factor. I don't think you can underplay the importance of that. And, yeah, plus all the football nonsense that we talk about every week, um, I, I think to be where they are is um, is really impressive. And, you know, we've seen a glimpse of um, what might what we might get in the second half of the season with, with Kulisewski in the past couple of weeks and, and to a lesser extent Richarlison. The fact that Son has only scored in, what, two matches still? Yeah, it's, um, it's unlikely you know, that's going to continue, you know. You'd think so. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I would look at the second half of the season at, uh, quite, in quite a positive and favourable light, um, especially if they make a couple of additions in January as well. Which takes us to James, traditionally perhaps the most um, careful of us um, when, when, when passing around the joy pills. Um, and uh, are you one of those, James, who who has Spurs' position in a darker light because of how great Arsenal are doing? Uh, I mean, I think probably the reality is that all of us sort of suffer from that, don't we? I mean, I, I think it's kind of unavoidable to draw that comparison, although we probably shouldn't. Because of my personal circumstances, being married to an Arsenal fan, knowing only Arsenal fans, being from Islington, all my friends support Arsenal, my family all support Arsenal, I've trained myself just to say they're none of my business. Um, I almost don't know they're top of the table, 
so successful has my mind washing been? Oh, um, almost, no, almost, almost, almost. I'm aware I'm, for professional reasons, I'm but sure, other than that, they uh, hardly exist. I'm sure they've been happy to tell you. Um, you, you got that right. <laughs> but but look, I, I, as Tim and Jack were saying, in terms of the results, mostly it, it's been about par. I mean, uh, the one that probably would stick out, uh, and I know they're a much improved team, but losing at home to Newcastle probably sticks out as the one bad result. But and I'm, I'm not sure drawing at Chelsea, maybe. There's, there's not like any other result that you think I didn't expect them to win that game. I mean, we talked about Brighton at the time as being one where maybe you thought they might drop points. The, the 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 Chelsea the Chelsea does remind you though that um, as soon as they come up against a good team they're not going to win are they? That certainly has looked like I mean look Jack was just saying their best performances against Liverpool and I think they could not quite easily but I think they're very they conceivably could have won that game last week. Uh, they've probably been a bit unlucky in that although most of their games against the top sides have come in this second half of the first third of the season where. It has been in just a hell for leather constantly and there's been all this other stuff going on in the background. So that clearly hasn't helped. It would have been interested to see them play Man City at the time they were due to play Man City. Having seen some of City's performances in the last few weeks, they've not been entirely convincing. I know that was earlier in the season when they were smashing everyone. But I would like to have seen Spurs, like what Spurs would have done. Having frustrated them so many times in the last couple of seasons. I mean, feel like Spurs must be, other than Liverpool the team that are taking the most points off of Man City since Guardiola's been there. That must be right. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and, and, you know, in the Champions League, d- despite it being quite frustrating to see them make a bit of a meal of it, it ended up being uh, like a- an amazing night in Marseille. Uh, and probably the moment of this, I know we're going to come on to some of this stuff, the, the moment of the season for me. I don't know if you want to segue in from there. Well, no, I want to give my opinion about how they've done so far oh, this season on, first. It'll be brief. I mean, amazingly, it's going to be brief. Antonio Conte has stripped me of my, any confidence um, that I know anything about football because I do not understand how Spurs are doing what they're doing. Um, it may be a new thing that I, I just haven't got my head around. It may be that it's some kind of, as I said before, alchemy. You can't play that negatively in the modern game. You can't play as poorly as Spurs have done out from the back um, and give away all that possession and still win the Champions League group and still be in the Champions League places. That is not possible, and yet that is what's happening. And there, my friends, again, if you want a little dictionary definition of Spursy, there it is again, something strange and wonderful. Um, Let's go on then to um, your... I'll come backwards through you here, uh, James, because you were about to bring it up. What's what's been your, your moment of the season so far? Uh, Hoiberg against Marseille, I'd say. Pro- I, uh, to me, the best of the comebacks of the last few weeks that we were talking about a bit earlier. Uh, the most significant in terms of the shape of the season, in terms of the mood going into the break to win the group, I think was really big. Particularly when you see the teams that are in the seeded side of that Champions League draw. I mean, I know Milan will obviously be decent, but I think I'd far rather be playing them than you know one, one of Bayern the top, Munich, top sides. Yeah. Bayern Absolutely. Munich, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that was I think that was a really significant moment, and obviously it's good to win a Champions League away game in any set of circumstances. Spurs haven't done that many times since they've been in the competition, so no, they're, the, they're the English speaking Marseille in that point of view. Well, but exactly, that, that, yeah. that was a fantastic uh, win. That's absolutely right, J- Jack. What should be your favourite Spurs moment of the season so far? Um, Marseille away, I think that was you know winning a game with basically the last kick of the game in a stadium like that under that much pressure uh, particularly given how 
you know, Spurs went 1-0 down in the first half. Kolasinac should have really won the game for Marseille about two minutes before then with that header that he somehow... He scored the winner headed. for Marseille yesterday. So he is a natural <laughs> finisher. Don't don't get, don't get into I it. Ho- I hope we didn't head it into the ground first. <laughs> he uh, did not. Um, but yeah, so I, th- that was amazing. I mean, for me, that was... That I'd have that ahead of Brighton away, which was, I mean, very different for and, and basically a game played under a unique set of circumstances. Brighton away, for reasons that we've discussed, yeah. but um, yeah, I'd have Marseille top. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious answer. As a self-contained moment before it got ruined, the Sporting winner inverted commas. Yeah. I, I haven't heard a noise like that at a stadium for a long time. Um, it was incredible. I, I loved it. I'd not not seen not seen Spurs celebrate a goal like that before. Kane was going mad. Fans were falling over. I mean, yeah, it got ruined, but I, that 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 moment was was pretty amazing. Yeah, and um, I, I, I hate to be the one who who completes the full house, but obviously uh, the winner in Marseille more so because of what had happened against Sporting. Um, I'm still to be convinced by anybody that that goal was offside in any way that can be understood by human beings. Still waiting for the 3D render. You, you can, and carry on waiting. You'll grow old and grey. Uh, because of what happened in the previous game, of course it would happen then that having qualified, being robbed, they would then finish top of the group with a last-minute winner um, made by Kane, which I thought was a, a moment of justice as well. And again... It was so Spursy to have gone around the houses, to have been defied by the officials and then to still find a way to get there. Um, I can't stand the negativity of that word. I'm going to reclaim it um, as a positive. It was brilliant. Um, and I, I also think, and I've been the, the biggest critic when I thought they played badly. That's my job. I've got no problem with that. It's also my instinct. Um, the chutzpah of the players in the last few weeks to keep going, as we saw against Leeds, I want to go into the break as confidently as that. The next issue about the break, though, is Conti's contract. Um, and the idea was that well, surely he'll have made some noises about signing it by the time the World Cup comes around, because we can't come out of this in January with exactly the same thing. And it becomes increasingly clear, Jack, that um, he's prepared to take this all the way to the end of the season. Yeah, I think he's in no rush to publicly commit to a new deal. That said... I do think the new deal will happen. Uh, I know that um, talks have already started. I gather they 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 have gone pretty well. Um, so it's not like Con- it's not like Daniel Levy and Conte's representatives will be meeting for the first time about this this week. Uh, um, you know, this is already a process that is in motion, um, and I, so I'm actually pretty confident about it. I know, of course, every time that Conte. It's not in Conte's interest to come to say in a press conference, yeah, I'm delighted, I can't wait to sign, I'm going to put pen to paper tomorrow, hurrah. Because as soon as he does that, he's got no leverage with Daniel Levy, and he has a huge amount of leverage with Daniel Levy. So it may, may, this is just me you know, uh, speculating, but maybe he might feel that if he, if he doesn't commit, if he lets us drag on to January... And then he says, "Oh, by the way, Daniel, how about uh, Basto? How about going back in for Bastoni? Or how about uh, how about going back in for Hakimi or something like that?" Then maybe that kind of um, you know that leverage will help him to get the players he wants. So yeah, I, th- I think it will happen, but I don't think. What if happen he gets that late and he says, "I'm not staying"? Where does that leave Spurs? I don't think that'll happen. Okay. Well, I mean, the answer is in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm I don't trying think to happen. absorb through a screen some of your optimism there. I'm trying very, very hard. It to me it is still the biggest issue in terms of like a sense of this club slash 
specifically this incarnation of a team moving forwards. And as I was saying last week, you want to feel like you're there's like a project for you to be buying into. And as long as a manager is out of contract at the end of the of the current season, then you can't you don't really get a sense of building towards anything. Uh, so I would. For all of the criticism, I would like to see him sign a, a long-term contract and for that to happen relatively soon. I completely understand for the reasons Jack had just said why he might be using that for leverage and it might not happen until like the 4th of February or whatever. In fact, that's when I predict it will happen now, 4th of February. I don't I'm, know right, what day I'm writing that, that down. I mean, what day I, of the week I, is that? I do hope it's sooner than that because pre- the press conferences, it's just they're so banal now. They're just every single week he gets asked about it. Every single week he says the same, the same thing. Um... It's it, it 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 yeah. Sooner rather than later would be good. Not not just for that reason, but as James says, for the security and the feeling that Spurs are building towards something in the next sort of two three. But years. it was like that. It was like that at the end of last season, where Con- every week Conte would be asked, "Will you definitely stay next season?" And Conte didn't care about the fact he was either just prevaricating, not giving an answer, giving the same answer he gives every week. Sometimes just filling it with sort of lots of empty empty platitudes and words so i don't think he i don't think he cares about giving interesting press conferences i think he i think he's he's willing to he's willing to drag this out if he has to to get what he wants so of course the issue here is that the the hypothetical scenario i just suggested you know he wants he wants to leave this open in january so he can go and get the players let's say let's say that and again please you know I hope no aggregator accounts take this literally, but let's say Tottenham get on the phone to Hakimi or Bastoni in January and they say, you know, would you like to come play for Tottenham ne- next season? Literally the first thing yep. that Hakimi or Bastoni's people will say is, well, is Conte still going to be there or not? Is he going to sign a new contract? And at that point, if Conte were to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep my options open, then like, why would why would a Hakimi or a Bastoni want to join? So that's the kind of, there's a bit of a, kind of uh, circular loop yeah going and on behalf on. Of, of I suppose 90% of Spurs fans are not as rational as as perhaps uh, you um, it's bloody annoying that little circle that can't be can't be squared um, so and what, also while we're at it what about the uh, the statement that he Paratici and uh, Levy are going to have a meeting today in fact um, about the plans for January as if this isn't ongoing and there isn't a WhatsApp group they're all in called the Pedro Perro WhatsApp group um, it, it it just beggars belief that he's feeding us this kind of chicken feed, and we have to go along with it. Of course, you're talking to them about it. I presume that that process starts as soon as the previous window closes. That that's another continuity between now and the end of last season. You know, we had this this kind of build up to this grand meeting between Paratici and Conte, which was in Turin the week on the Thursday of the week after the the, the season ended. Though in reality, like Daniel Levy didn't even go to that meeting. I think largely because you know they talk all the, as you say they they talk all the time. They knew they were going to get Perisic already by that point, which I think was put in motion at the end of the season. So it was. Um, yeah, I think it's very easy for us in the media to kind of blow these meetings up to be more important than they actually are. Um, we should talk about Harry Kane. Um, again, people of my age can say when Jimmy Greaves was doing what he did, uh, in, in my case, towards the end of his time at Spurs, you your common sense told you you'll never see that goal-scoring record broken. And he, I thought that even in, the, in an era when there were lots of people who were getting 25 goals a season, um, admittedly, there were 42 games in the season uh, back then, um, but strikers were expected to get 20-plus goals. Now that's a, a really big achievement. And yet here we are. Harry Kane is five goals behind 
uh, Jimmy Greaves's record. I think it's worth James pointing out um, all the August deniers and all the rest of it. Just how well he's played in a, a team that hasn't fed him particularly well and where, because of injuries, he hadn't had a minute's rest. He's been marvellous, I think. I mean, it's obvious point, but I think it, because of Haaland's form in the first half of the season in Man City, it, it's completely hidden the fact that Kane has scored. I think is it twelve in fourteen in the league, fifteen, which in any other season would be all anyone was talking about going into the World Cup. But but for some reason, because Haaland has scored eighteen, like, like suddenly it's gone completely under the radar. Uh, he's developed a very useful knack. And I I suspect this is partly down to uh, the set piece coach whose Vio, name Vio, I always forget. Yeah. Vio, thank you. Um, that far how, post how thing goals... you start to do now, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How many goals? I can picture a lot of them in my head. One against Wolves, Chelsea, Chelsea, Liverpool, Leeds, or Chelsea Arsenal was near last season. Yeah, where, where he like he's scoring a lot of his goals at that in that back post area. He's become a goal piece. hanger. Brilliant Which to add to his other think... skills. Off the top of my head, I can't think was a thing. Like, like to me, the archetypal Harry Kane goal five years ago was sort of cutting in from the left in a bit of space, progress to the edge of the box and then shoot like a low shot, maybe pulled slightly back into the bottom corner near side. And he probably only did that five times. But I'd be interested to see whether the average Harry Kane goal is now like being swung by the number of goals he's scoring in a six-yard box suddenly from set pieces. It's just not... He's basically scoring the goals that people used to accuse him of scoring like five, six yeah. years ago. He's just scoring tapping. Uh, tap pl plus normal. running the midfield and scoring, still scoring his normal goals as well. Tim, watch it, watching him every week close up um, as since you've got the privilege um, and life honour of following Spurs uh, for the Athletic, um, has it changed your opinion about him as a footballer, a player? Um, definitely gone up in my estimation in terms of I think attitude really um, just this, this consistency in his attitude you know we talk about consistency of performances consistency of goals consistency of finishing chances but he just never gets too high or too low you know he's he's the talisman of the team obviously his only weakness is, is, is as, you, as you suggest that he does too much because he's you know he's all things to all men and that's with that, especially with that Kulisevsky they just haven't had anyone Linking play from midfield, so he has to do that as well as score the goals and create the that's, chances. That's a front-handed compliment, in isn't it? His only weakness is he's too, he does too much. No, definitely, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like a, a um, job interview you might do. Yeah, he, ne <laughs> he nearly tried to take a corner on Saturday. Don't know if anyone noticed that. I hope he, he just came over to my corner of the ground and was something like put his hand on the ball, and suddenly everyone was like, "No, no, no!" <laughs> yeah, I, th I think, but he'll benefit more than anyone probably if Kulisevsky been around. Hopefully, in the second half of the season. Um, but yeah, I was, I was looking at this morning, uh, they've got nine extra points because of his goals as well, which, again, shouldn't be underestimated and definitely gone under the radar, as James says, because of because of Haaland. But was is this is this his best season, is it, so far, in terms of um, goals scored per per game? I think I saw that a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, but. Yeah, so when I actually looked this up earlier, this is me, me, doing, me working hard. Uh, so he's currently on 0.81 goals per 90 in the Premier League, which is actually his best since 2017-18 which was slightly better. So in 2017-18, Kane averaged 0.88 goals per 90. Uh, and then one an amazing 1.04 goals per 90 in 16-17. So it's not quite as good, but it's still his best And he was in years. a monstrously and, better team. Yeah, and by any normal standards, a really, really good return. 
Uh, also, his his XG is really high this year. So 0.64 per 90, again, is best since 17-18, which again shows that it's not just... You know, it's not. He's not just kind of. He's not. It's not just that he's. You know, on a finishing streak, for example. He's also getting lots of really good positions all the time. I think Kane has been really good. I think James is spot on. That if it wasn't for the Haaland thing, people would be talking about. You know, Kane back to his best. Kane going to win back the Golden Boot, all that kind of thing. Where do you guys stand on Kane or Benton Kerr for Player of the Half season? That's a tough one. My instinct is that Kane misses out on this quite a lot because the the kind of the expectation is already the expectation so high. is so high that in, the base we? level it just, he just has to he just has to be so good to kind of stand out. Um, no, it has to it has to be Kane. He's he's been unbelievably good. Like we probably haven't even talked about it enough on this podcast. It's a Tottenham podcast. Uh, he's been ludicrous. We take him for granted, don't we? Take him for granted. Look, yeah. Harry Kane is an underrated footballer, possibly even by Spurs fans. He's an unreal, an unbelievable player, an incredible player. And, and all Rodrigo's efforts, they, so many of them are, are translated, as you pointed out, Jack, into late goals by Harry Kane, which have won or saved matches. Um, and so I think Benson Kerr has been fantastic. So, so has Hoiberg. Um, you know, against expectation, perhaps uh, even better than he normally is. Um, but for me, it's Kane. Uh, any any disagreement, Jack? Kane's only won on on James's point there. Kane's only won the uh, was it one Hotspur members player of the season award twice in his Tottenham career. I know, but it's amazing. But we're always trying we're always trying to big up the next player down, aren't we? Yeah, I know, exactly. yeah, I know. That's what it is. But it's yeah. always like. Yeah, but it is like it is like this. People like Danny now campaigning for ben, campaigning for Ben Tanker because he had a couple of good games. Yeah, I I, I mean is that what I, I was doing. Yeah, I think instinctively, I think instinctively, I would have given it to Benton Kerr, but then now I've realised that oh yeah, maybe maybe we do take Harry Kane for granted. So in that sense, I'm going to reverse my decision. Sorry, Rodrigo, it's going to Kane. It just stands out when Benton Kerr has a few amazing games. It just stands out, and like you know, obviously there are players like Son who's been an incredible player for Spurs over a prolonged period of time, and before that, people like Ericsson and and like people like Alderweireld and Vertonghen and whoever Dembele, else yeah. but but like Kane was just more or less consistently amazing for like eight nine years now Tim Benson Kerr or Kane uh, I, would, I would look at it as where would they be without that player and I think without without Benson Kerr that you know that okay Bissouma might have played a bit more or, or whatever but but without without Kane I think I think they'd be pretty lost Which takes us to my last question for you all before we take this break. I should say to the to the listeners, the subscribers, the downloaders and the freeloaders um, that if something mad happens during the World Cup, if God forbid one of our important players hurts himself badly, if God forbid Antonio Conte decides he's had enough, we will do an emergency podcast. We're not we're not compl- we're not completely abandoning you. Um but as I say, I've got to go on a honeymoon. These chaps have got to work on the World Cup. Uh, and there won't be as much Spurs stuff to talk about. Let's talk about the World Cup then. Um, Spurs have got... There can't be many clubs. Um, got more players going. I know, for instance, that almost uh, 50% more Spurs players are going than Liverpool players. What are you most excited for? About, I mean, given that we're all slightly tainted, uh, at least that's my opinion, uh, even talking about the World Cup. Tim, what are you looking forward to in the World Cup in general and for Spurs' players? And how deep can some of them go? I mean, looking at that Brazil squad, you'd love to be a footballer and and be Richarlison because the attacking talent they've got is absolutely insane. You'd also, I'm you'd really also be a, love to be a left-sided forward playing against them with their 38-year-old centre-back, the 39-year-old right-back. 
Yeah, there is a bit of that. They're going to be pretty fun, though, aren't they? Great. Um, looking through the Spurs players that are going, I think the majority will fancy their chances of, of getting through to the knockout stages. Um, I think Denmark have got a decent group. I feel like I feel like Uruguay and South Korea could could well put Portugal out potentially. Um, England, you expect to go through. Wales got a decent chance of getting through. Ben Davis, obviously Lloris, Romero. The majority, I think, will fancy the chances of, of going deeper in the tournament. I mean, it's not fantastic news for Spurs. Um, but yeah, Richard, Richarlison would be the one I'd be most excited about. And Romero, if, you know, touch wood, he recovers from his injury. Yes, to to to, uh, to partner Otto Mendy at the heart of... Uh, maybe the Manchester United guy, or maybe Martinez will get the game now. But the tournament, the qualifying tournament, has been... Um, Romero and Otto Mendy. What 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 an explosive pairing that is. What about the World Cup for you, James? I would agree with Tim. I think uh, Richarlison and Romero will be the two. I, I can actually see yeah, Argentina and Brazil being the, the final, which would obviously be a rematch for those two of the infamous clash in the Spurs-Everton game in, in March or April. Uh, so, yeah, th- those would be the two that I'd be su- I would suspect will be away the longest. I mean, obviously, I hope Harry Kane is away for a long time too. But I don't know. Just got a, just got a slightly bad feeling about England. What about Which you? Be good from a Spurs perspective, I guess. What about you, Jack? Uh, so I, um, on a personal from a personal perspective, I'm certainly most interested in seeing England. Like I, I, I will be covering England and flying out tomorrow. Um, I think that England will probably get to the quarterfinals, where they will meet. I imagine either. Um, Hugo Lloris's France or Hoiberg's Denmark. So I think Tottenham are in quite a weird position in the sense that almost their entire first eleven are there, all with different countries, all of whom have got a decent chance. So I don't think there's many Spurs players who will be coming home after the group stages. Like I think Son will probably be coming home after the group stages. Um, Saar, I think, will probably get through. I think Senegal are a good team, and you know they were they did really well to win Afcon. Um, so I think a lot of Spurs players will still be there at the last 16, which will have um, Antonio Conte tearing his hair out a bit. But uh, always get new hair, because, can't he? So that's not a problem. Because <laughs> I think they'll all still, you know, the, most of these guys will still be in the competition by the time we get to the last 16 in what the sort of second third of, of December. So they won't be getting much of a break. Um, but in terms of winning it, well, I think uh, I think I'd probably just about make Brazil favourites to win it. Um, uh, I mean, I'd love to see Brazil or Argentina win it just because I think European domination of the World Cup is such a boring and bad thing to have happened to world football in the last 20 years. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to, to watching Uruguay, actually, if their manager can yeah. work up can work up the, 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 the strength of character to not start with Luis Suarez, but start with Darwin Nunes up front. If he has behind him um, Fede Valverde, arguably the most informed player in world football just now, um, Benton Kerr with what we know he can do and Manuel Ugarte of Sporting who is a tremendous player as well there'll be teams who won't want to be play, uh, playing Uruguay trust me and I'll be interested to see how they can make their um, their very very gifted midfield compensate for some very very old people doddering around at the back it's amazing that uh, Go, of course oh yeah incredible oh, yeah. bouncing around there I was, I, I was so thrilled when I saw his <laughs> name on the, on the squad list the other day it's just a shame that his mate Lugano isn't there as well <laughs> I mean he's likely to start uh, Jack so that, that's that's the weakness in, in, in Uruguay's team um, and as as for winners I, I 
I guess I, I, I hope um, that we're, one of Spurs' players will be holding the trophy aloft um, come, come the final. Um, if, if, not, if not Kane, and I don't think England will win the World Cup, don't get me wrong. Um, I think there's too much confusion at the back these days. Um, uh, but but and Hugo Lloris, they, they've messed their their preparations up completely, France. But they still have a lot of really good players. One of them would lift it. I, it would make me very happy. Um, but I suspect it, uh, we're, the best I can hope for is Richarlison um, standing uh, down the line with his winner's medal around his neck. If it, if it comes to that, um, it's it's a lot of great football to look forward to and a lot of complicated politics. Um, and then the transfer window, and then the second two-thirds of the already mad season. Um, there's such a lot that we'll uh, be getting into the podcast, I hope, um, when we come back in a few weeks' time. We'll be back before Christmas, don't forget. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening to us, um, both old listeners, new people down, downloading the podcast, um, because we're getting lots of feedback, and I really, really enjoy that. And we'll try and find new ways to bring you um, our views on Spurs, um, as well as just arguing with each other bitterly, as we've always done in the past. There'll be some kind of Christmas or New Year quiz. Last year's went on for two and a half hours in a podcast first. I want to thank Tim and James and Jack, and of course Charlie, who's not here um, for domestic reasons, um, for all their efforts as well. Uh, It's too early to say Happy Christmas, so all I'll say is Happy World Cup to you all. And God bless you all if you're not already an Athletic supporter. Remember, you can sign up to read all of the brilliant Spurs coverage this season, as well as everything else that's on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just a pound um, for a month's worth of content. And that's for six whole months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon, unless it's an emergency podcast. Bless you all. The Athletic.